today. It'll be a little bit shorter than the normal 10 or 12 weeks we've been doing. On the Ten Commandments, Genesis chapter 20 and verse 1. Actually, this morning is part 2. Tonight will be part 1, just because of the dynamics involved. Genesis 20 and verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, uh, in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And I'll pause there for the moment. Over the weeks, we'll, we'll work through each one individually. But let's look just to start this morning at that first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before thee or me. Whether we're aware of it or not, everybody has a God. Everybody, the whole world and everybody in it. A God of some sort. Someone, I can't remember who it was, put it like this, that we've all got a God-shaped hole inside of us. I think that's a, a very good way of putting it. That until you are born again, until Christ comes into your life fully and properly, you know that there's something missing. You know, this is the primary difference between you and animal life. You are not an animal. Amen? We are not animals. I've got a cat at home. Believe me, my cat does not have a God-shaped hole inside her. Right? She doesn't seek something to fill that which is missing. But human beings do. And if you look closely, you can see actually quite quickly what it is that people try to fill their lives with. Now, some things become apparent over time, you know. And when you look at your friends' lives over the years when you got saved or whatever, they may have said to you, well, I don't need your God. I actually don't need any God. But the truth is, you'll find that they do have a God of some sort. They do have something they worship. And it tends to come in the form of natural gods or supernatural gods. What do we mean by natural gods? Well, some people have that yearning to worship, so a mother will worship her son. And you may have heard that said. Have you ever heard, oh, she really worships that boy? Have you heard that? It could be a person. could be a career. could be money. But believe me, human beings will fulfill that drive, which is in every single one of us, to worship or to seek after something. And normally, it's a person. Normally, it's a person, first and foremost. And if people can't find satisfaction in a person, as I say, they will turn to careers or other things. So there's natural things that take the place of God, and there's also supernatural gods. And that's why this commandment is immensely important. First, He is the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before thee. Now, we live in the United Kingdom, and traditionally this country 
has been a monotheistic country. I.e., if you stop someone on the street and you say, do you believe in God? They would have no confusion about which God you're talking about. Right? And that's the same in America. It's the same in most of Europe. However, the vast quantity of the rest of the world is not like that. And if you stop a man in India or Pakistan, right, and you say, do you believe in God? That's quite a confusing question because which God are you actually talking about? There are millions of gods considered in the world, right? Now, Britain, as I say, has been a monotheistic culture. We believed in one God. That's been our tradition. But the vast majority of the rest of the world has been polytheistic. Societies where there wasn't just one God. But guess what? <laughs> the world is changing. And now when you go on the streets of this city, Glasgow, or any other city around the world, it's becoming polytheistic. Why? Well, because of immigration. Things have changed. Things have changed enormously, not just in Britain, but, as I say, around the world. Cities have changed. And there's almost been an upsurge in polytheism, in the belief in many gods, because people have left, you know, the East and traveled around and brought that type of theology with them. And so we need to change with the times, and we need to be able to address our city, our neighbors, and deal with whatever issues they might have. In my experience, people do want God, a God. People are craving for something, right? They've got a little bit of a problem with God being number one, though. <laughs> First, I am the Lord your God. That's where the sticking point is. People want God. They just have a problem with Him wanting to be first in their lives and wanting to call the shots. But that's an immature and childish way to look at God because God's number one whether you like it or not. And He's the only God who actually breaks us free from slavery. You know that? All other gods ultimately lead to slavery. First, I am the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And right there at the beginning, He's saying, if you promise me, if, if, if you follow me, I promise you that I can give you that freedom. Right? He is the Lord, our God. And we would be wise to follow Him. So our society has become polytheistic, and we need to be aware of that. God wants number one place in the throne of your heart. And you can travel this world, you know, and go to a king's castle or to wherever a queen lives, and the one thing common in every throne room or in every throne is this. A throne can only take one. And your heart is a throne. And there ain't room for two or three. Your heart can only actually cope with one. And so when your friends say, I don't need your God, just take a look at their lives and you will very quickly see that there's a God there somewhere. We have a neighbor who lives not far from us and we were out last night, yesterday evening, and we passed him yet again. And I feel sorry for this guy. He's got three Volvos. They're all about 20 years old. They're all the same make, same model, two white, one red. And, well, how many times? About three times he has taken one of those cars and completely stripped it down and everything is everywhere, all stacked around the front of his house and in his garage. 
He takes it down to the absolute shell. And then he builds it all back up again. And I suppose he's retired. But I've seen him do that, well, I think about three times in the last year and a half. And when he's eating his dinner, he's probably thinking, oh, I got an idea about what I'm going to do with that stupid hunk of metal. (laughs) Now, you might say, that's not a God. Well, tell me, what is it? What is it that every time we pass, he's standing looking at this car and then looking at that one and looking at the... It's a total fixation of his life. He's retired and there's some hole inside him somewhere. And in this case, he's filled it with a Volvo. Heavens above. Now for you, it might be a motorbike. For you, it might be something else. But the hole is there. The gap is there. And people, if you study their lives, you will see that they actually do have a focus. And I ask you, plain and simply, what's yours? What's your focus? Who is it that is on the throne of your heart? This is a very important first commandment, and we'll be coming back to it. So the first commandment tells us who we worship, who we should worship. And the second commandment tells us how to worship. He says that we're to have no craven images before us. And this is a real hot topic, isn't it? I was raised a Catholic like probably about half of you were. But God says that we're to have no images before us of Him. In John's Gospel, it says this, No human being has ever seen God's form. Nobody has ever seen Him that they would be able to tell you what He is like. The word form there is actually the word shape. No human being can describe God to you in the fullness of the sense of God. Now that creates a problem, you see. Because say you hadn't seen, ever seen salt. And I was trying to describe to you what salt is like. I need to get something to compare it to. But say you had seen sugar. I would say to you, ah, salt is a bit like sugar. I would use something that you knew to describe something that you had never seen. Now, my point is this. The problem is man has never seen God. Right? No man has ever seen God's shape, God's form. And because of that, the the problem arises. Because you know what we do? We choose things that we know. And that's why you see the bull God or the goat God. We choose created things and turn them into a golden calf and turn them into images that people over the centuries, I'm afraid, guys, have worshipped, bowed down to, right? Because we do not know. And that, 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 that has got a lot of problems with it. Number one, it limits God into a, the form of a created thing. And that is what He doesn't want. It will cause us eventually to be disrespectful of God who is primarily a spirit. Our God is spirit. Right? And ultimately, that thing, be it a statue, be it a picture on your wall, can ultimately replace God. Now, you can say, oh, don't be ridiculous. How can a statue replace God? How could that ever happen? Well, let me tell you, it happens every day. And to some degree, it happened to me. In my bed, I sleep here, and Jeanette sleeps on this side. And right beside my bedside table, I have a picture of Jeanette, just sitting right there. Praise God. (laughs) 
So I get into bed at night. You see, I get into bed and I turn and I take the picture and I say, well, how's your day been? And very often Jeanette says, who are you talking? I say, shh, quiet, I'm talking. Now, how has your day been? Everything okay? Oh, yes. Okay, good night. <laughs> now, how do you think Jeanette would feel if I did that? Not very good, amen. She would very quickly say to me, do not make an image of me. Do not talk to the image of me. Talk to me, amen. Right? And it's a simple illustration, maybe a bit of a silly illustration, but nonetheless, it's very true. Now, I grew up with statues all over my house because my father worked for the, what was called the apostolic work for the Catholic Church. And we used to hold statues and pictures and all sorts of things, loads of them, for shipping overseas, you know. So we were very acquainted with statues. But as I started to seek to fill this gap in me, I went to the only place I knew where to go, which was my local Catholic church. And night after night, I sat there. Now, I can tell you, folks, this is the truth. This is my testimony. This is my story. I sat there sincerely seeking God with images surrounding me and statues surrounding me. And I sought and I sought and I sought. And one night, praise God, something happened. Do you know what happened? My head lifted past the statue out of that building almost and began to connect with God. Not an image, not something that can't talk back. Amen? You see, Jeanette's here, there's a picture here. The picture doesn't talk back. Hey, that's quite good actually. No. <laughs> the picture doesn't talk back. <laughs> the picture doesn't talk back. It's not actually a relationship. It's not a dialogue, it's a monologue. And that God wants a relationship, a two-way deal. Amen. And so in that church that night, I will never forget it. Because He is my Redeemer and the lifter of my head. And I distinctly remember my head rising. And almost like spiritual eyes going out of the building. And for the first time, I'm actually in a conversation. Not just one way. Not sitting before an image of Jesus. I'm actually talking to Jesus. Right? And that's the problem with images. So don't treat it lightly. They start to take His place. And ultimately, in many people's lives, they replace God. And that's what He's getting at. Not only that, but if you get too hung up on images, you know what happens? People go to a church, for example, and the church has got stained glass windows and candles and all that. And they come in and they think, oh, don't you really feel the presence of God in this place? And you know what begins to happen? They start to associate the presence of God, relating to God with a physical place, with the Gothic windows, with the statues, with the candles. And once you start to do that, do you know what? God becomes almost the God of that place, Sunday between 11 and 1. And He ceases to be the God of Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We started by confining Him to a, an image that we made in human likeness or in something we knew. We brought Him down. And then we created a, a culture and an atmosphere in which to contain Him. And then we start to visit 
him. So you can see that this is not something out of date. This is something that's absolutely critical because many people do feel, I'm sorry to say, you know, closer to God when they're in a church building or whatever. And that's what God is trying to get away from. If I did, I actually don't have a picture of Jeanette beside me. I'm sorry, I'm only joking. <laughs> I've actually got a picture of myself there. <laughs> if I did have, she would very quickly say, take that down and talk to me, right? And I ask you, what images in your life? In fact, if you have any images, if you have a statue of Buddha, or if you have uh, any depictions that were not allowed, I would say to you, friends, it's not artwork, as it gets treated these days. It's not artwork, you know. It's something that we shouldn't have in our homes. Anybody like God to call them detestable? Would you like to, you know, God to say, hey, you, you are detestable to me? No. Yet God says that those who consult the stars, pick up your newspaper and read the story. You know what God says? Such a person is detestable to me. And so it is with images. You see, these are commandments that are detestable if broken before God. So take them seriously. Clear out your house of anything. Because God knows what he's talking about, right? He knows the end result of these things. First of all, he talks about material images, statues and pictures. But it doesn't stop there. You've also got mental images. Whether you like it or not, that's just life. We tend to conjure up ideas of what God is like. I mean, here you go. Let's try this out. Close your eyes a moment. Everybody just close your eyes. I want you to picture Moses. Picture Moses. Open your eyes. Who saw Charlton Heston? Put your hand up. One, two. You will. You'll start to see some sort of image. But that image ultimately lets you down. It's, another, it's pulling things down to an earthly level, which God advises us against. For years, I did tapes, you know, cassette tapes. And those tapes would go out to different churches, and they would go for a long time. And, and when I eventually got there, people would be seeing me for the first time, having heard you for a long time. And time after time, you walk in, you know, people say, oh, was that him? I say, yeah, uh. Yeah. <laughs> you could hear the disappointment. Uh, is that, is that it, you know? And can you imagine getting to heaven and saying, where's Moses? And you've got this child. What, what happens if Moses looks like Gordon? What are you going to say then? You're going to say, is that him? Images don't work. Images will never work. We pull God down. And there is a danger in there. Material images, statues, pictures. There's more to it than meets the eye. Right? Mental images. We can start to pull Jesus down. In fact, it was said of John the Baptist, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? What was it that you were looking? What mental image did you actually have? Because it will be wrong. And you start to see how we do truly limit God. Actually, there is an image of God that we are allowed. And that's you. You've been made in the image of God. There is one image that God has set up on the earth, and it's actually mankind. And when we all get to heaven, I hope, we'll begin to see that this physical body that he made, I believe, corresponds to spiritual attributes that God has. 
attributes of his spiritual nature. The Bible talks about God's kidneys, God's eyes, God's ears, God's mouth. I believe the very physical body that we have here is made in the image of God. And we were supposed to be that. We don't need something else. We were to be living epistles, right? And that's right throughout Scripture. The first Adam lost his image, remember? So the second Adam in Jesus Christ came to restore that to humankind and to restore that to us. You can look at Colossians 3, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, and in many, many other places where God calls us to be His image on this earth and not set something else up to do our job. So first, I am the Lord your God, and I hope He is this morning. Second, we shall have no other idols or make no form of an idol in your home. Clear them out. And thirdly, we shall not take the name of our God in vain. And may God forgive us for the way societies have gone on this one. My, oh my, the name of Jesus has become so cheap. And the Christian world is so lacking in activity towards stopping that. We take no action when the television or the radio just abuse the name of Jesus. And we should do. What does it mean to take somebody's name in vain? Well, the word vain means empty or hollow. And it means simply this, that you separate the person's name from their character. You're pulling it out of character and using it separately from them. That's why swearing is such a, a bad thing, because it's hollow. When they take the name of God and separate it from Him in any way, we degrade God. Well, let me give you five quick ways in which we need to be careful that we are not involved in any form of taking God's name in vain. The first way that you can do that is what we call perjury. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to court where they swear you in. I've done that a couple of times, and I think the last time the, the oath was quite different from what I'd previously remembered. But traditionally, the oath used to go like this. I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The truth, the whole truth, meaning you're not going to leave anything out. And nothing but the truth, meaning you're not going to add anything to it. But don't answer this out loud. Have, do you take the Lord's name in vain? Do you ever do that? Let me give you a few ideas about how that can actually happen. Firstly, if anybody ever says, as God is my witness but they're actually lying, that's taking his name in vain. If you call God to be a witness to something you're saying, to be a, a witness to, you know, a testimony you're given, even in casual conversation, and you will hear it again and again, oh, as God is my witness. If you do that, and you're lying, that's called perjury, right? It's taking his name as an empty thing. It's separating his name from his character. Actually, Paul did that. Paul was telling the truth, obviously. But Paul did that. He used to say, as God is my witness, through his epistles. And Jesus warned about it. He said, we'd be better off not doing that at all, ever. Let your yes be yes, he said, and your no be no. That's the best way to live. But Paul used to do that. And it's not really the, the best of examples, that's for sure. So watch it. But that's one way that we can take his name in vain. A second way is obviously profanity. Isn't it amazing how the name of Jesus 
of all the names. I mean, you don't hear Muhammad used as a swear word. You don't hear Buddha. It's always focused on downgrading the name above all names. The name in which you have authority to pray. To try and get you to disrespect that name. Right? To trample it underfoot. So by swearing or calling God to witness something and actually telling a lie, that's wrong. That's perjury. Profanity is a way that we can take God's name in vain. Or just plain old flippancy, treating it too lightly. And this is, again, we've mentioned this before, but it's a very important subject. Many of you will know Billy Graham. 1950s, they invited Billy Graham to the UK to where they were having a Christian comedy night. And Christian comedy is a hard enough thing to get right, as you can imagine. But Billy Graham was stuck there, and they had these series of dramas and plays that were humorous. And the first play came on, and Billy Graham laughed and laughed. You know, it was very funny, very good. And then the second play came on, and he didn't laugh at all. And at the end of the meeting, one of the people went up to him and said, Excuse me, Dr. Graham, I happen to notice that you thought the first play was very funny, but you didn't laugh at all at the second. Why? And listen to his response. He said, Ah, well, you see, in the first drama, we were making fun of each other. And that's good because it helps us relax. It was good fun. And isn't it good to laugh at each other? But in the second drama, we were making fun of God. We were bringing him down. And that was wrong. And the sad thing is, you see, you've got a thousand people roaring with laughter, totally unaware of that third commandment. And you've got Billy Graham, who was schooled in the Ten Commandments, sitting there saying, uh-uh, you have crossed the line. Conscious of the ten, you see. Mindful of what God had put in place. And aware that being flippant in jokes and Christian jokes, as I say, they're very hard to get right, aren't they? Because there is a line there. And I thank God that he stood for that. But we need to be mindful of it. As a believer, you can't laugh at many things, correct? Loads of things. When people make jokes in work or in college, there are many things that you're going to have to stand back because that's over the line. I'm not going there. And this just doesn't, by the way, taking God's name in vain, we're looking at the Ten Commandments, but it's outside of that as well. It refers to, you know, churches and everybody else. Don't take your friends' names either. Don't treat people this way. These are rules concerning God, but they apply to people as well. I, I, in, in, in one church I was in, I wasn't a pastor, I was just a member there, and, and one of the pastors there was called Alan Watt, Pastor Alan Watt. And one of the members began to call him Watty. You know, is Watty here? Watty, would you pray for me? You know, and I remember taking her aside one day and I, I said, listen, let me tell you something. You can call him Alan. You can call him Mr. Watt. You can call him Pastor Watt, Pastor Alan. I really don't mind. But I guarantee you this, Watty is not good. Oh, come off. Watty is not respectful. You should not speak or address to your pastor like that. That really tells me that there's probably an issue with God. Because if you're going to talk to humans, what does 1 John say? If you can't love the human being you see, don't tell me you love the God you can't see. Well, if you can't respect the pastor you've got or whatever, then don't tell me that you're actually respecting God because I don't believe that. When you respect God correctly, 
it comes out in relationships, you see. Amen? So this, it doesn't just refer to God, though, of course, in the context we're studying, and, and it, it, it does. Fourthly, there's hypocrisy. We are Christians. Anybody a Christian here? Let's see your hand. Praise the Lord. Do you know what that means? It means Christ in you. Christ in me. And when we go, hypocrisy is another way to take his name in vain. If we go out and we say that we are Christians and we tell people that's our badge, that's our name, then if we live hypocritical lives and don't live up to some degree, right, then that is, is, is wrong, very, very wrong. It's not practicing what we preach, if you like. And last, la, uh, the last one is just plain old-fashioned blasphemy, and we're going to come back to this one. What is blasphemy in this context? It is when I pray something in the name of Jesus, but it's something that he would never, ever, ever endorse. Right? There's many a prayer has been prayed in the name of Jesus, but it's something that God would have nothing whatsoever to do with. Right? Something he wouldn't endorse at all. And blasphemy is when I'm praying something that I know is wrong, that I know is not really the will of God, and I'm taking his name down and using it as some sort of you know, weapon to try and endorse something that I know is actually not the will of God at all. We're going to look at this for four sessions together. Please come back tonight where we're going to do actually part one and start reading through this week. Read the Ten Commandments. Uh, there's a lot in them. Again and again. Could I invite the worship team back, please? But just for this morning, what are the commandments we've looked at? First, he is the Lord my God, and I shall have no other gods before me. And I ask you, is Jehovah your God? Is he first, and is, is he on the throne of your heart? Secondly, that we shall have no images before us. If you have any religious pictures or statues or Buddhas in your home, clear them out, get rid of them because they're detestable to God today, just as they always were. And lastly, watch how we use his name. Don't use it as a swear word, that's for sure. Don't use it in any blasphemous way, but respect the name of your God. I stand. Hallelujah. God, as we look at your Ten Commandments again, I pray you will open them up to us like never before. Show us the relevance of them. Show us how we can use what you've taught us here. When we see people with multiple gods, we'll be able to help them and guide them and show them how to fill that God-shaped hole within them. Lord, if there's anything in our lives which is an image, any idol of any form, in a person, in a thing, in money, in a career, Today we lay it down. We empty the throne of our hearts. We ask you, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, and take the throne. And God, as Elijah, sorry, uh, Isaiah was touched with a coal off the altar and you cleansed his lips from anything he had said that was wrong. Come this morning and cleanse our speech. 
Help us to be careful about the jokes we hear and extra careful about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.